Across the Western world, democracies are riddled with division. Migration in Europe, Brexit and sexual identity politics in the USA. They're just some of the issues fueling a vitriol-filled debate. Signing off from his late-night talk show, James Corden lamented, I've watched divisions grow and I've seen and felt a sense of negativity grow and at points it just boils over. So what's caused this negativity? Why the polarisation? And can democracy sustain it? This is Bill Cruz. Welcome to the discussion. Alastair Burt served as a Member of Parliament in the United Kingdom for almost 20 years and worked with think tanks on issues in the Middle East, particularly Israel and Palestine. Alastair Burt, how difficult is it to hold views in public life today? It's much more difficult than it was, I think, is the, uh, is the answer to that. Um, whereas I feel I grew up in a, uh, in, in a world where you could hold quite strong views, you could debate strongly and you could leave afterwards as friends. Uh, the whole concept of discussion has changed now in which the determination is to shred an opponent completely and thus destroy any relationship. And then this is echoed through various media channels and the like. It's more difficult now, I think, than it was in public life. How does that compare to when you were first elected to Parliament in 1983? Because I'm sure debates were pretty fearsome back then. When you think back to 1983, the most advanced piece of equipment people had was something called a golf ball typewriter. So the ability of people to uh, to get to you and complain and complain in a... In a, in a particularly unpleasant way, was much reduced. Uh, people had to write you letters. Uh, there was there was very little else. We got big post bags, but you had nothing like this instant response that you're able to get now through the internet and through social media. When you see something you don't like, you can respond in a second. Whereas in the past, it took you time to get a piece of paper, to write a letter, to find an envelope, to find a stamp. And by the time you'd gone through that, 99 people out of 100 just don't bother. So, so that's, that's, how, that's how different life is now. And uh, talking to current MPs from nine, 2019 onwards, you know, the amount of uh, difficult stuff they're having to deal with has just grown exponentially. Now, the advent of social media promised to enhance democracy. But on balance, do you think it has? That's a difficult question to answer. It certainly enabled people to be more immediately connected. And I think that's a good thing. But it, that connection has got to come with some sort of background. It seems too easy now for people to jump into arguments on which they're not really taking part in the discussion, but it's amplifying a particular view that they have. I think the, you know, what's called the echo chamber, the fact that you can find uh, an avenue of opinion which absolutely fixes yours, doesn't challenge it and therefore enables that view to be augmented and become more extreme, I think that's, that's a bad development. But the access of uh, the, the ability to take part in wider conversations is a good one. But that will then depend on the sort of education that people get, um, it, you know, if they're taught civics in schools and things like that. If you're taught how to debate, how to hold views, that may be different to somebody else's, but where to find a meeting point. This takes something that hasn't yet been done. Social media survives by presenting users with the things they like. Is that compatible with a healthy democracy? 
I think ultimately people have got to be presented with things that challenge them um, so that they can think through and consider whether what it is they believe is well-founded, is still correct for today, uh, whether it needs variation. But a reinforcement of opinion or prejudice is very unhealthy, um, whichever side of the political uh, line you're coming from. And you're quite right. It does seem to be that there is a whole industry dedicated to reinforcing people's beliefs because that comes with, usually comes with some form of commercial exploitation. When I started in politics, going back to that, I, my hometown was very, very marginal. Its demographic was, was very well constructed uh, by accident over the years. And it meant that it was a sort of bellwether seat. The way Berry North went, that was the way of the country. So I knew and my party knew that in order to win elections, you not only had to have your own votes, but you had to win over some of the other side. And they knew the same. Now, that seems to have changed over the years in which people think that the way they become elected and stay elected is reinforcing the people who already voted for them, not reaching out to get somebody else. Is that good for democracy? I think if you're not trying to change people's views, if you're not trying to put before them a set of uh, facts and some information which will cause them to ponder and think, do you know what, I'm not sure if, I, if my previous view was correct, I think I may need to change it. Always bearing in mind that as facts and, inf and events change, it might change again. Uh, I think that's good for democracy. But if there is constant reinforcement and then it's fueled by information which is either patently false or designed to mislead, that's a risk. And, and people need to be educated uh, about making sure they know where, in, where a source is coming from, where people are coming from in the information they get and be prepared to challenge it. You're listening to Bill Cruz and I'm talking with retired British politician Alastair Burt. Alastair, do people really want their views challenged anymore? Oh, what a good question. I, I hope people do. Um, nobody wants to be told they're wrong. I mean, we, we have, again, as you're aware, this great debate in, in, in Britain about Brexit. Uh, we, the, the bitterness and polarisation produced by the Brexit argument in, in the UK was very significant. And that hasn't quite gone away. And people who voted for Brexit, which is now proving to be you know, quite uncomfortable process for the United Kingdom... <laughs> No one who votes for, voted for Brexit likes to be told that they were wrong. And they come up with a whole series of reasons why Brexit hasn't worked. It's not the Brexit they vote for. It was never, ever their fault. And uh, it's not their, uh, not their problem. It's always somebody else's problem. That, so that's, that in that particular area, people don't like to be, to be challenged. Um, but it, but it, you've got to be prepared to be challenged. You've got to be prepared to think, did I get that right? Um, of course, if you keep going to the public and say, I got this wrong, I got that wrong, <laughs> then people are not going to have any confidence in you. But, but again, well-minded people will, will appreciate that things change over time. The politics of the United Kingdom, uh, 40 years on from when I was elected in 1983, is not the same, and nor should it be. <laughs> Otherwise, the country wouldn't have moved in any direction. So you just have to go with the flow. But if, if you work in a political environment where people are not being challenged and where you can't have reasonable discourse and where things are getting more polarised, the long-term development of that is not comfortable and not healthy. James Corden said 
just because somebody disagrees with you, it doesn't make them bad or evil. So is part of the problem that it's turned into a team sport with one-eyed supporters determined to beat the enemy? James is right. Uh, Your friendships are built on other things and other experiences in life. And an ability to see life differently politically is, is really, really important and not to regard an opponent as the enemy. We, you know, there, there was, there was, you know, when we came into Parliament, we were taught that those, there is an old joke. The new member of Parliament comes to the House of Commons and sits down and very young and very green and he turns to the... Uh, uh, member next to him and he said it's fantastic i'm so pleased to be here in the house of commons where i can see the, the the whites of my enemy's eyes across the floor from me and the old stager replies uh, over there my boy are your opponents your enemies are all around you <laughs> that, that brings up this how important is it to listen to differing points of view in a well-functioning democratic society absolutely crucial absolutely crucial uh, unless you're prepared to listen to views that challenge you as a politician and a political leader, you shouldn't be there. You, 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 you're, then, you're then leading a cult if you're not prepared to listen and, and debate and uh, potentially be influenced by people with information coming from a different source. My name's Bill Cruz and I'm talking with long-time but now retired British politician Alastair Burt. Alastair, what happens when a country fails to have the capacity to reason with itself. It becomes bitter and divided. Uh, and I suppose sooner or later, people march on their Capitol building and seek to wreck it, uh, as on June the 6th, 2021. Uh, that's ultimately in a functioning democracy where you get in a democracy that's sliding away and not being a democracy at all, you get uh, leaders who pitch their uh, their support, perhaps on nationalism or on faith, uh, both those are very powerful weapons to use against uh, opponents. Nobody wants to be called a traitor, uh, and in countries where faith is uh, all-embracing, the, the risk of being a blasphemer is both legally and physically very challenging. Uh, so, ulti- so ultimately, if politics becomes more bitter and divisive, you're opening the doors to uh, other bases on which people might choose to vote. So is it fair to say that democracy in America is fundamentally broken? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I, I visit America on a, uh, on a fairly regular basis. It's being challenged, but I don't think it's fundamentally broken. Uh, I, you look at the debates in Congress, you look at the, uh, you know, some of the, the, the figures, new figures coming through. It's going through a challenging period uh, and it will be challenged again in the next uh, election. I didn't regard uh, Donald Trump as a a character that was designed to sustain and promote uh, American uh, democracy in in, in a manner which would lead to uh, moderation and careful consideration. But he takes part in democratic politics. Um, But the, the Republican Party is seriously challenged in some of its views and the way it promotes some of its views. But it's still a democracy, and uh, I wouldn't suggest anything other. But all democracies, you know, the price of freedom is continual vigilance. You've got to look at what it is that's driving your uh, democracy and make sure that all the, uh, all the engines of it are functioning in the right direction. At the moment, and America is not the only one, uh, and, uh, a number of challenges are there, which is 
putting democracy a bit off key. That's a sober picture. But the social media genie can't be put back in the bottle. So is there a way to fix the polarisation in democracy? You and I are of a generation where social media is an add-on to our lives. Um, we've, we, we, we see them as, as alternatives to, to mainstream media and everything else. And we go to social media because it's an alternative channel. Kids that have grown up with it, they, it it's for them. It's, 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 it's like running water and electricity. It's now part of their, their life. Um, uh, so it's not going to go back in the bottle. But understanding, a bit like electricity and water, they're, they're wonderful things. But in the wrong context they can do you damage. So you, so, so kids need to understand where social media is coming from, the potential harm it can be, the good it can be. And like all these things, the choices between good and, good and evil, you know, depends on, on, on character and getting the right information as you, as you go through life, making mistakes and, 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 and being corrected. So it, it's a raw material. Um, but like so many raw materials, it's got to be handled with care. What about sanitising the social media, like in China? To completely sanitise it and have it state authorised is going down another route because then the state will tell you what to think. And it, none of us none of us want to get into that, that position. We want states that allow us to have the views that we hold, but those views we... You know, you and I would both want to come from sources where people are prepared to debate and discuss uh, those views and not use them to wound and weaponize uh, in relation to other people. In the end, it's people who use social media. So is it they who have to behave better? And indeed, can we expect them to? I think underestimating the public is, is, is always dangerous because you tend to feel politicians and leaders like the public they agree with and you know you tend to have conversations with people and say this is a very sound very sound bloke i've just spoken to because <laughs> his views reflect yours um uh, so uh, and and then you have a conversation with somebody else who is completely off beam and you find something to blame well you know where, where's he come from what, what views is he's getting people will have different views to you it i think in times of crisis uh, people rise to the occasion. And just a year ago, people were thinking if Russia invades Ukraine, well, it's it's slam dunk, it's over and done with. How can how can the people of Ukraine resist the 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 might of Russia? And we found in the last year that calling for extraordinary sacrifices from Ukrainian people have been met with the ability of Ukrainians to to perform extraordinary feats. I think it's the same in, in, in many circumstances where people are challenged. Uh, you know, people will rise to the occasion. You've got to believe that people will use social media sensibly. And there will always, as there are in any society, there will be people who misuse and there will be people who will uh, use it for bad intent. And the law has got to be on them like a, like a ton of bricks and there should be no excuses. Um, but I think we've got to believe that people are capable of running their own affairs and making judgments. Alastair Burt, thank you so much for talking to us today. Not at all, Bill. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to speak to you. Looking forward to seeing you back in London sometime in the not-too-distant future. Mm -hmm.